Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Psychope Self-Help Podcast, a space for women where psychology illuminates paths to healing hope and personal growth. I'm Dr. Jennifer McManus, a clinical psychologist, and I'll be your host. Each episode, we'll explore a different way to use psychology to enhance emotional wellness. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, it's episode 27. Thanks so much for having me back in your earbuds, or if it's your first time listening, welcome. Now, for my regular listeners, I really need to thank you for your patience with the unpredictable schedule for the podcast lately. Part of the reason for that is I'm actually working on something pretty exciting that I hope to share with all of you soon, hopefully by the end of June. As you know, I'm really feeling called these days to extend the impact of my background in psychology beyond providing therapy to just one person at a time and in only one state. So this self-help podcast is one of the ways I'm answering that calling, and I'm so excited to share with you this upcoming self-help resource I've been working on too. So please stay tuned for that. Despite being pulled in the direction of the upcoming Psychope self-help resource I've been working on and can't wait to share with you, I do still want to bring you a couple episodes in the interest of Mental Health Awareness Month. With last month being Stress Awareness Month and May being Mental Health Awareness Month, I thought it would make sense to have the topic of this episode serve as a sort of bridge between these two important areas of wellness, stress and mental health. Now, if you heard the last episode where we highlighted the top 10 most stressful life events, you may recall there's a connection between stress and the development of health conditions. Specifically, heightened stress is associated with an increased risk for developing health conditions, including mental illness. So in this episode, I want to hone in on that connection between stress and mental illness by exploring a framework used in psychological research and clinical work for explaining why the likelihood of developing a mental illness varies from one person to the next. Even in families where there's a history of mental illness, some family members develop a mental illness and other family members do not. Maybe you've noticed this pattern in your own family. The framework we can use to understand why this occurs is called the diathesis stress model. This psychological model takes into account how one's diathesis and stressors interact in the development of mental health problems and mental illness. So let's break that down some. Just interrupting here to tell you about a new resource I created for you. If you're experiencing high levels of work stress, this resource is for you. Please know you're not alone. So many women are tired of work stress seeping into every area of their lives. Perhaps you can relate and want to do something about the negative impact work stress is having on you, but aren't sure how to get started. 
If this resonates with you, then I'd like to invite you to take a brief moment for yourself and try the Your Path Through Work Stress quiz. In 10 introspective questions, you'll learn more about your unique experience of work stress and which science-backed stress relief tools are most likely to help you reclaim your peace. Just head on over to psychopecom slash your path so you can take the first step down your best path through work stress. The quiz will also be linked in the show notes. Diathesis refers to an underlying predisposition or susceptibility of developing mental health problems or mental illness. Some individuals have a higher diathesis, which makes them more prone to developing mental health problems. Others have a lower diathesis, which provides them with more resilience against developing mental health problems. This predisposition involves genetic and biological factors. The diathesis doesn't just stop with genetic or biological predispositions, though. It's also influenced by life experiences that occur earlier on in our development, like early childhood or even while still in the womb. One's diathesis level is also influenced by temperament and other psychological factors. Temperament refers to individual differences in behavioral and emotional patterns that are relatively stable across time and situations. Temperament is believed to have a biological basis and can influence how individuals perceive, process, and respond to any stimuli, and that certainly includes stressors. Different temperamental traits can affect one's diathesis level in a variety of ways. Let's take reactivity as a facet of temperament, for example. Some individuals may have a higher reactivity, meaning they exhibit stronger emotional responses to stimuli or stressors. They may be more prone to experiencing intense anxiety or negative emotions when confronted with stressors. This heightened reactivity can contribute to an increased diathesis level. Self-regulation which is the ability to control your own emotions and behavior, is another aspect of temperament. Individuals who struggle with self-regulation may find it challenging to manage stressors, and this increases their vulnerability to developing mental health problems. In addition to temperament, there are some other psychological factors that contribute to one's diathesis level, including cognitive processes and personality traits. Let's start with cognitive processes, which have to do with how we think and include things like cognitive biases or cognitive styles. These cognitive processes can influence an individual's vulnerability to stressors and contribute to their diathesis level. Some people are prone to what's called a negative cognitive bias. And this means they have a tendency to interpret situations in a more negative or pessimistic fashion. Someone who doesn't have a negative cognitive bias is likely to interpret the same situation in a more neutral or even positive way. In the context of the diathesis stress model, a negative cognitive bias can amplify the impact of stressors when they do occur, making a person who is more prone to a negative cognitive bias more susceptible to developing mental health problems. Another relevant cognitive style here is rigid thinking patterns. Individuals who have rigid thinking patterns, sometimes called cognitive inflexibility, may struggle to adapt to new or challenging situations. 
This rigidity can limit their ability to effectively cope with stressors and can increase their vulnerability to mental health problems. In other words, raise their diathesis. Personality traits can also influence an individual's diathesis level. Certain traits can make individuals more susceptible to stressors or can affect their ability to cope. Neuroticism is a trait to consider here. Neuroticism can be characterized as a tendency to experience negative emotions and be more emotionally reactive. High levels of neuroticism can increase vulnerability to stressors and contribute to a higher, you guessed it, diathesis level. Now, everything I've described up to this point has been about understanding what contributes to one's diathesis. The second part of the diathesis stress model is the role stressors play in triggering or exacerbating mental illness or mental health problems. In the last episode, we took a deep dive into stressors, so if you haven't heard that episode yet, I invite you to take a listen. In terms of a quick summary for today's purposes, though, Stressors can be external events or circumstances that an individual experiences. Examples of stressors include traumatic events such as abuse. We might also experience loss, significant life changes like a change in job or residence, or ongoing chronic stress. When individuals with a high diathesis encounter significant stressors, they're more likely to develop mental health problems compared to those with a lower diathesis. If someone already has a mental illness, without an effective relapse prevention plan, symptoms of a mental illness can return or get worse in the face of significant stressors. The diathesis stress model highlights the importance of the interaction between underlying vulnerability and stress. A person with a low diathesis may be able to withstand high levels of stress without developing mental health problems, while, on the other hand, someone with a high diathesis may develop mental health problems even with relatively minor stressors. This psychological model also recognizes that the relationship between diathesis and stress is not deterministic and that protective factors such as social support, coping skills, and access to resources can all influence the impact of stress on mental health outcomes. So just as earlier adverse life experiences can raise one's diathesis, Other types of earlier life experiences can serve as protective factors against stressors. These experiences help to build one's resiliency. Supportive relationships and positive role models are some examples of protective factors that can help us strengthen our resiliency. Hang on to these points because we're definitely coming back to the topics of protective factors and resiliency before wrapping up this episode. While the diathesis stress model can be a valuable framework for understanding the interaction between vulnerabilities and stressors in the development of mental health problems and mental illness, it's not without its limitations. One limitation is the challenge of accurately measuring and quantifying both diathesis and stressors. Identifying specific genetic or biological vulnerabilities and objectively measuring stressors can be complex and may vary across different individuals and contexts. 
Also, the diathesis stress model has faced criticism for its lack of specificity regarding the nature of diatheses and stressors. It doesn't provide detailed explanations of the biological, psychological, or social factors that contribute to vulnerability, or the precise mechanisms through which stressors interact with vulnerabilities to lead to the development of mental health problems or mental illness. I also want to mention that more comprehensive models than the diathesis stress model are being used more often in psychological research and clinical work these days. These newer models recognize the complex interplay between many factors, including genetics, neurobiology, environment, and social determinants of mental health. The diathesis stress model serves as the foundation for these more intricate models, though, and was a great place to start for the purpose of this podcast. So now that we've reviewed the diathesis stress model and have a better understanding of the vulnerability of developing mental health problems, as well as resiliency to them, let's use that knowledge to see how we can better cope with stressors in the interest of preventing mental health problems. From a prevention standpoint, the diathesis stress model suggests that interventions focus on reducing both vulnerability, the diathesis, and exposure to stressors. As you're about to hear, many of these interventions are self-help interventions. Strategies for reducing vulnerability can include things like early identification and intervention for individuals at risk. To reduce the impact of stressors, interventions may involve stress management techniques, improving coping skills, tapping into social support networks, and creating environments that minimize stress. Let's put this together now with an example to bring it all to life. Now, I know a lot of my listeners are working women who like to tune into the podcast during their commutes. So let's put the diathesis stress model in the context of a woman experiencing stress from her job and how that may or may not impact her mental health, depending on her diathesis level. So picture a talented and driven woman who's excelling in her career. She's constantly under pressure, though, to meet deadlines and manage demanding projects. She's really struggling to maintain some semblance of work-life balance. She's experiencing all this work-related stress with her own unique level of vulnerability to mental health problems, her diathesis, which could be influenced by factors such as her genetics, early life experiences, and her individual temperament. In other words, it's not just the stress from her job that determines whether or not she develops mental health problems, but the interplay between her vulnerabilities and those stressors from work. For instance, imagine our ambitious woman has a higher diathesis, meaning she's more prone to experiencing mental health challenges. When she encounters significant work-related stressors like a demanding boss, a toxic work environment, or an excessive workload, it may tip the scales, increasing her risk of developing mental health problems. We can contrast her experience to coworkers who have a lower diathesis than our highly ambitious woman. Even though they're in the same stressful work environment, the coworkers with lower diathesis levels don't experience those work-related stressors at the same level of intensity as the woman who has the higher diathesis. It's important to remember that vulnerability alone does not determine the development of mental health problems. Other factors come into play, such as protective factors like social support, coping skills, and access to resources. 
These factors can buffer the impact of stressors on mental health outcomes. So Sarah Same, highly ambitious woman, has been going strong on practicing mindfulness meditations. Or perhaps she's been using her excellent health insurance benefits from that super stressful job to see a therapist on a weekly basis. Her coping skills and access to resources can serve as protective factors that help build resilience to mental health problems. As we wind down Mental Health Awareness Month, I think it's important to highlight how we can use self-help interventions to enhance our own resilience. Engaging in regular self-care activities that promote physical, emotional, and mental well-being are some examples of how we can work on our own resilience. Self-care is going to vary in terms of what's most helpful for one woman to the next. Self-care might look like practicing mindfulness or meditating, engaging in regular physical exercise, maintaining a balanced and nutritious diet, making sure you're getting enough sleep, or protecting your time for hobbies or activities that bring you joy and relaxation. Having a strong network of family, friends, and colleagues who can provide emotional support, encouragement, and practical assistance also help build resiliency. Social support is all about staying connected with loved ones, seeking social interactions, and engaging in activities that foster positive relationships. Participating in support groups or seeking professional therapy can also be beneficial. Coping with stressors involves learning and practicing stress management techniques that work for you. This could include deep breathing exercises, progressive muscle relaxation, journaling, engaging in creative outlets, or participating in activities that you personally find relaxing. You might need to experiment with different techniques to find what works best for you. Time management and work-life balance can also help, especially with stressful work situations. Here we want to think about developing effective time management skills and establishing boundaries between our work and personal life. A few time management approaches to consider include prioritizing tasks, delegating when possible, and avoiding overcommitting yourself. I know it can be hard for some of us, but it's okay to say no. Remember to take breaks during the workday, establish and maintain routines that promote work-life balance, and make time for activities that bring fulfillment and enjoyment outside of work. Another way to help build resiliency to stressors is to catch our thoughts. Remember that cognitive appraisals are related to our diathesis. So how we interpret a given stressful situation matters. Here we can do our best to challenge negative thinking patterns and develop a more helpful and resilient mindset. This is an opportunity to identify and reframe negative thoughts, focus on our strengths and achievements, practice self-compassion, and cultivate optimism. Remember, Building resilience is a process, and it takes time to develop. It's important to be patient and kind to yourself throughout the journey. I think viewing vulnerability and resiliency through the lens of compassion can be particularly helpful. For example, if you seem to struggle more than others when stressful things happen, perhaps you have a higher vulnerability to mental health problems than those to whom you're comparing yourself. That certainly sounds like a reason to me to show yourself compassion. It can help you to understand why you're having a different response to the stressful situation and how to cope with it. 
Compassion is also relevant if, on the other hand, you believe you may have a lower diathesis and are less vulnerable to stress than others, or if you have been working consistently on building your resiliency and feeling its positive impact against stress. These can be opportunities to feel compassion for those who may be suffering more than you in the face of the same stressful experience. This dynamic brings to mind the saying of, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Now, if you're inspired to work on your own resiliency, some of the earlier episodes of this podcast focused on specific self-help interventions that might help towards that goal. For example, episode 23, exploring thought work as a self-help approach, goes into more detail on reframing our thoughts to be more helpful. You could also check out episode 20, exploring the psychological benefits of mindfulness for stress and anxiety. And for guided meditations and other relaxation videos, you can always check out the Psych Hope YouTube channel, which is at psych underscore hope and will also be linked in the show notes. Just wanted to share some resources with you so you know you're not starting from scratch. Be sure to tune into the next episode, which will be another mental health awareness episode with a mental health concern unique to us women. Much peace till next time. The information shared on the Psych Hope Self-Help Podcast is done so with the understanding that it does not constitute professional help, nor is it a substitute for professional help. If you think you might benefit from more than self-help, There are resources listed in the show notes.